The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. It's time to find out the stories behind the stories. Welcome to Nick Ferguson's Secondary Perspective. Get ready for some amazing guests, along with Nick's own expertise and insight behind some of today's top news in sports. The where, why, and how. Now, here's your host, Nick Ferguson. Super loaded edition of Nick Ferguson's second dairy uh, perspective and a great day that it is. I want to touch on a little bit of local news uh, before I bring my, my host in. And that's and you can Mario Batanzi. You can find him at Mile High uh, Mario. And I think you'll love this. Here in L.A., you have two teams. You have the Los Angeles Clippers and the Los Angeles Lakers. Uh, one team was a prominent team and the other is an up and coming team. But here's the issue. Uh, the Clippers are now starting to make a little headway and make themselves known here in the local area. But here's the fascinating thing. Kobe Bryant comes back from Achilles' injury. Julius Randle goes down with a broken leg. No Steve Nash. Carlos Boozer's inserted in. Jeremy Lin inserted in. The Lakers win their first game of the season against the Charlotte Bobcats. That's why I coached by no other than Michael Jordan. They're one in seven. And over the past four weeks since November the 2nd, they have lost by a combined margin of 16 points. But Mario, my thing is, when you look at Kobe Bryant, he took a significant amount of money to come back to play for the Lakers. But he's out there trying to be the old Kobe, but it seems more like uh, Kobe is nothing but a sideshow. And when I thought about this, uh, uh, Mario, and then I'll let you chime in, here's what came uh, to mind, a, a, a little song by a group called the Blue Magics that pretty much summed this up. Take a listen to this. about you mario it, just as the song said sad enough you know to make you cry and that's what the los angeles lakers fans are going to have to deal with so so what do you think about this can kobe save this los angeles franchise or is it time for kobe to now move along you know nick it's not sad enough to make me cry they are bad enough 
to make me puke. And then Magic Johnson comes out a couple games into the season and says, the Lakers are still playing an exciting brand of basketball. And Kobe Bryant is always worth the price of admission. Really, so you're going to pay to watch an over-the-hill shooting guard miss more shots than the other team combined? Give me a break, Nick. There's no saving this team right now. They need to go into rebuilding mode, and that's not going to happen as long as Kobe is on the roster. See, you said you just mentioned that no sports fan uh, of any, whether it's baseball, MLB baseball, whether it's NBA or the NFL, wants to hear. You uttered those words of rebuilding and starting over. But that's what you have to do. And you know what, Nick? The Lakers fans, and we've touched on it on this show, or at least I have, they're just going to flash over, go out and buy Clippers gear, wear the red and blue around, and pretend like they were Clippers fans all along. That's the beauty of having two basketball teams in your city. Chances are one of them's going to be good, and you can hop on that current bandwagon. It's just that the Lakers had been so good for so long, now that people don't know how to handle not having a good basketball team, so they're going to pretend like they were Clipper fans all along. But see, you know, here in Los Angeles, we, I've started that happened uh, before it was just billy crystal sitting courtside now you're seeing other celebrities now starting to jump on the clippers bandwagon and that raises a lot of questions for loyal uh, lakers fan uh, once again i mean brian brian scott said it himself you know the other night they, they played against the pelicans and he said well this is the worst display of defensive basketball he's ever seen well then clearly so, so, he has been watching the nuggets play <laughs> Maybe he has it because he has more to worry about in his own backyard with the Los Angeles Lakers opposed to watching the Denver Nuggets where they're going to play uh, later this season, but not to be outdone. The Clippers have some issues of their own. Uh, Blake Griffin was charged in an incident uh, stemming from uh, an altercation, as they're calling it, with uh, DeAndre Jordan and Chris Paul was with him, but they were not attached to the incident themselves. Uh, well, he was at a tile nightclub in, La- in Las Vegas and allegedly alleged put his hands on a patron there at uh, that restaurant, uh, which makes me raise this question. And, and you've seen it a lot, especially in the Denver area. You know, there's some loyal sports fans and there's some sports town. But sometimes some fans don't allow you to be. They don't allow you to operate in society without harassing you for an autograph for a photo. So if you were in Blake Griffin's position, and I'm not saying that this is what happened, but I've seen situations like this happen in the past. If you, Mario Vitanzi, let's just say uh, you're playing for the Denver Nuggets, you're the star player, and you're out and about in the Denver area, and fans walk up to you and they want a photo. They want a picture with you, and you tell them no, and then some some words are exchanged. How would you handle that? You know, it's a tough thing, Nick, because obviously you want to treat your fans well. You want people in your town to like you. But when they start acting belligerent and they start acting out of your mind and you played here in Denver and you know that's how Denver fans can get. They're very temperamental. You know, if someone's had a little bit too much to drink, I'm, I'm not condoning what Blake Griffin did, but I will say I get it. And I think if it's not Blake Griffin, you know, if it's uh, if it's somebody else on that roster that is not kind of the face of the franchise, this whole incident probably goes unnoticed. And that's the problem 
you know, with the society that we live in. These stories are going to get blown out of proportion because, oh, we want to see our stars fail. We want to see them fall from grace. And everybody, like, no one has ever had a bad or mean thing to say about Blake Griffin. So it just seems like a stretch because it gets to a point, Nick, if he feels like his safety is in danger, then he's completely entitled to slap somebody. And that's what it seems all it was. And if it's self-defense, then I give him a pass personally. Well, you know what? This is what I want to talk about. Uh, also, uh, moving to NFL really quickly. In recent blowouts, a couple of weeks, we know what Thursday Night Football has given us. Uh, but I'll talk about you, Mario, and you give me your take on it. So we've seen the blowouts. Hold your breath. Don't say anything just yet. And then we watched Green Bay demolish the Chicago Bears and then Philly annihilated the Carolina Panthers. So, so when you look at these games, especially going back to that story rivalry between the Chicago Bears and the Green Bay Packers, uh, right now everyone is looking for someone to blame. And, right, and the two people that are center stage are Jay Cutler and Mark Tressman. So when you look at this team as a whole with stars like Matt Forte, Brandon, Brandon Marshall, uh, Alshon Jeffrey, who is to blame this debacle that we're now witnessing at, at the Chicago Bears. You know, it's Trustman, Nick. It's got to be Trustman. And I, I'm not going to put all the blame on him because I don't want to be one of those guys where if a team falls apart, you automatically blame the head coach because that's a go-to for so many people. But you look at his track record, and he came from the Canadian Football League. Look, no disrespect to them because the Canadian Football League does have some very talented athletes. It's basically like the minor leagues for the NFL, if there was one. You know, we've, we've seen on rare occasions guys go from the CFL, you know, like Brandon Brown, or go from the CFL to the NFL and have a good career. But it's very few and far between. And you look at those teams, they don't have to deal with egos, Nick. They don't have to deal with guys like Jay Cutler and Brandon Marshall. They don't have to worry about any issues in the locker room the way that an NFL coach has to worry about. So I think it's just a matter of Tressman not knowing how to deal with these supersized egos. And even though NFL.com or the NFL Network did a story on Brandon Marshall about how he's better and he's this and he's that, he still has an ego. He is a prima donna receiver. We've seen it firsthand in Denver uh, right here several years ago. They saw it firsthand in Miami, and now they're getting a load of it in Chicago. He could be the best wide receiver in the NFL, Nick. Better than Calvin, better than DT, better than Larry Fitz, better than anybody else if he could just take a grasp on his emotions. And if he had a head coach that could help him with that, then he could do it. But Trestman is not that guy. So I'm going to blame the players as a whole because they don't know how to play together. But when that's the case, the responsibility falls on the head coach. Well, here's the thing. You know, yeah, the responsibility falls on the head coach. Uh, Also, uh, you have to look at the front office as well because you're talking about the personnel. Mark Tressman was, uh, I don't want to say an offensive guru, but he's had a history of building quarterbacks who've had had success. And we've seen it time and time again with certain franchises, just like uh, the Republicans and the Democrats. If the Republicans do uh, a a crappy job uh, with the government, now usher in the Democrat, taking over the House and, and maybe a Democrat for president. The same thing is happening here with the Bears or will happen. You have an offensive-minded coach in Mark Tressman who replaced a Lovey Smith who was a defensive-minded coach. So after he goes out, now you're talking about 
maybe Chicago Bears go back to a defensive-minded coach. But I raised this question to uh, someone on, on Twitter, and I give it to you as well. Lovey Smith was fired by the Chicago Bears for a lackluster performance, as they called it, but he has had more success in his first two seasons than Mark Tressman is having right now. So the, the question is for you, and it's a long shot, if you're Lovey Smith, would you consider going back to Chicago to coach the Bears? Because Lance Briggs said himself, this Chicago Bears team is not as disciplined and is not as solid from a personnel standpoint as they were under Lovey Smith. So you see Lovey at some point going back to Chicago. You know what? I think it would be good for Chicago. And when it happened, you know, he was coming off of a 10-win season. I didn't understand them firing Lovey in the first place. Until you see what he did with Tampa Bay. And again, you can't put a ton of blame on him because you look at the talent and it's not quite there. They have an above average defense. That kind of gets lost in the fold. But they bring in McCown to be the quarterback. And he's a system guy. You know, he succeeded in Chicago because of the system. You look at a guy like Vincent Jackson, who has had, you know, limited success this year, but has been good in the past. You know, a budding star in Mike Evans. But their offensive line and their running game is non-existent. So, you know, I guess the question posed is, can Lovey Smith win, you know, without the talent that he had in Chicago? And apparently the answer is no, because we know how Tampa Bay is doing this year. And that's even in a terrible division, probably the worst division in football. If he were to go back to Chicago, I don't think that's the long-term answer, Nick, honestly. But I do think it would be better than what Tressman is doing. So I guess uh, take it for what it is. Well, I guess take it for what it is. Joining the program uh, later, we have John Michaels, radio personality host in Atlanta on Atlanta scene. He's going to talk about uh, the Florida State University Miami uh, rivalry, and then we'll talk about uh, the SEC. Can a two-loss SEC team actually, or should be allowed to be in a four-team playoff? And also coming up. Uh, Jeff Hauser from Rant Sports, a writer for Rant Sports, uh, who has an actual dog in the fight. And what I mean by that is he has a say in who wins the national, not the national championship, pardon me, the Heisman Trophy. So we'll get his take on who he's going to vote for for the Heisman Trophy. And, and, and staying right there, Mario, we talked about it at nauseum on this show before. And we look at what college football was once before. We had the BCS, where you had polls and you had, uh, let's call it a machine, helping pick and to decide what teams are, are in the season in the top four, top five, for the right to play for that crystal, better known as the national championship. But now we have this new format. We have uh, the 12-person committee. And when you look at this, and, and, I, and we've asked several people on the show this question. And I think everyone is still waiting to see, and we asked John Michaels about this, can this 12-person committee, can they finally do what the BCS did, did not do or wasn't able to do and make everyone happy by getting the right four teams in this playoffs at the end of the season? I mean, it's like we've talked about, Nick. I don't think people will be satisfied until you increase it into eight. I thought that was the rational way to do it. But then when you increase it to eight, then, you know, the nine and ten teams will say, well, why why in the world aren't we in this playoff? We have this and this and we beat this team. So honestly, like I, I don't think there's any perfect way. I mean, look at the NCAA basketball, uh, the way that's set up, Nick. 64 teams get in and every year. 
every single year, there's still, you know, a handful of teams, you know, at least two or three that are saying, well, why are we not in and this other team is? So there's always going to be a little bit of an issue. There's no definitive answer, Nick. Um, but I guess, you know, the four-man playoff is a start. There will be one-loss teams left out. There might be, uh, I, I think, is Marshall still undefeated? They might be left out if they finish the season undefeated. So uh, short term, there's no answer, but it is better than the BCS because at least you're getting four teams involved instead of two. So I guess that's just two less teams that you're going to make feel bad about each other. Well, for me, you know, my, my argument uh, with this whole situation, you have uh, the power five, and you can only put four teams in. My suggestion, and once again, I'll ask uh, John Michaels, a radio personality and host and the, on the Atlanta sports scene of this, this exact question, why can you not take a little bit from the way the NFL does things? You take the, the five best teams in the power five conferences, and then you look at the margin of victory out of conference victories, and then you say, okay, well, that team gets to buy. We let the other four teams duke it out, and then, then we insert the team that had to buy back into the mix. That way, you, you get a representative from both five conferences. You give each person an equal uh, plane to actually compete on, and then you let it sort itself out from there. To me, I, I'm not 100% just yet sold on this new committee and the ability to get it right because I feel as though we're being set up. And we're being set up for Alabama to sneak back in there when you have the possibility of two SEC teams playing in this playoffs. And, and to me, that's not great for, for football. That's not great for the college scene. So we'll see how this thing uh, shapes up here. Uh, after the break, we'll talk to writer of Rant Sports, Jeff Hauser, and maybe get a peek inside to who he's going to vote for for this year's Heisman, you're listening to Nick Ferguson's Secondary Perspective on Mile High Sports. We'll be back on the opposite side of this break. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. Looking for the best show about horse racing and handicapping? Want to play the ponies? Join us every week for Winning Ponies with John Englehart, racing's regular guy, where you'll go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, agents, and handicappers in the world of horse racing. This show is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website. Listen for top plays for the weekend and the spot play of the week and win prizes just for calling in. Winning Ponies with John Englehart is live Thursdays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Network. Sports continues to grow and evolve to ever-increasing prominence in today's society. On All Around Sports, host John Inglesby will connect with the leading newsmakers from the sports world, including players, owners, and fellow sports journalists, discussing the top news and events that are relevant to sports today. John will also report from and offer his experience of the world's top sports events. Tune in to All Around Sports with John Inglesby, Fridays at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Sports Channel. Sports and medicine go hand in hand. 
Quite simply, if you aren't up to your game health-wise, you won't be up to your game on the field. That's where Bruce the Sports Doc comes in. Dr. Bruce Grossinger uses his medical training and experience to bring you a link between sports and medicine. From the latest advances and treatments to discussion behind the injuries of the week, Bruce the Sports Doc and his team of guest experts are here each week to lay it on the line in terms that you can understand. Tune in every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Channel. Listening to Secondary Perspective with Nick Ferguson. To get in the lineup for today's show, please call 1 888 346 9144. That's 1 888 346 9144. Or send an email to nickfergshow at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Yeah, before we went to the break, we were talking about uh, the SEC and uh, college football playoffs. Uh, I want to bring in my next guest. Who knows uh, the ins and outs of this whole scene? He writes for Ransom. Of course, you can follow him on Twitter at Radio Hauser. Uh, Jeff Hauser, thank you for joining the program. Oh, man, as always, thanks for having me. All right, Jeff, I'm going to get right to it. Now, unlike Mario and myself, uh, you actually have a vote for the Heisman Trophy winner. Now, I, I, tell me who you're going to vote for. I'm just going to get to it. Tell me who you're going to vote for. For Heisman? Yes. Tell me who you're going to or, vote for. Oregon quarterback Marcus Mariota. Yeah. Agreed. Tell me why you're choosing Marcus over the other candidates. You have Duke Johnson, who's now uh, named and tossed into the Heisman race, but now he's a dark horse uh, because of the way that program is right now and trying to amount some wins. But, you, you know, you have several other people. Uh, dear, uh, uh, I think Amir Abdullah from Nebraska, sensational running back. When you talk about multi-purpose yards, he has put those up. Also, you have Jameis Winston, who has his team, the same Florida State team that beat SECR last year in the hunt as well. So why do you pick? Marcus Mariota over the field. Well, you look at Marcus's stats. He's been the most productive quarterback in college football. And, I, and I'm not singling out his quarterback status or, or the position that he plays. I'm just saying that he has been the most productive quarterback in, in terms of what he does on the field. Now, he's got 29 touchdowns to two, just two interceptions. And that's an amazing stat. But then you look at all, all of his uh, all of the other quarterbacks in college football. I mean, you you take into account Jameis Winston, who is defending his Heisman Trophy. Jameis hasn't had that good of a year. And I think it, automatically, if a guy gets suspended for whatever reason throughout the year, as a voter, I think you throw him out of balance, now, regardless of what he got suspended for. You, you, you take a guy who has played every single game, and has played it to the best of his abilities, and you have to look at Marcus Mariota. Yeah, but when you talk about off-the-field issues, I mean, a couple of years ago, uh, was it not that Johnny Manziel himself had a couple off-the-field issues, but he was still able to accumulate a lot of Heisman Trophy votes? So when you compare Jameis Winston to that of Johnny Manziel, are we being fair in our assessment? Well, I think that, you know, Johnny shouldn't have won the Heisman. I think he was one of the best players, but I think that that year that it should have gone to defense. I'm not going to say who I voted for, 
but I'm just saying that in the the big scheme, I think that, that people wanted to have that first freshman in there, and that's what they got. And it was just really unfortunate that Johnny Manziel was the first freshman. And we haven't seen what he can do in the NFL yet, so that we can't judge him upon that. But off-the-field issues really weigh on voters' minds, especially for what Jameis Winston keeps going through and the university keeps pushing back and keeps delaying his proceedings on the sexual assault or what have you. I mean, we don't know what this guy is going to get charged with, if, if anything. I mean, he may walk scot-free. We don't know. Now, uh, to turn the, uh, the other cheek, I think that when a guy commits an act of anything, it, it, it weighs on voters' minds because it's something that is there. It's something that's fresh. It taints the image of what that person is and what the Heisman Trophy could represent in terms of that. Now, something I want to ask you, and obviously this guy's not going to win the Heisman, uh, but safety Gerard Holloman from Louisville, who has 13 interceptions already this year through 10 games, and the FBS record is 14. Is he going to get any love whatsoever, maybe at least be a finalist? Obviously, he's not going to win the Heisman, but when you're knocking on the door of a record that was set in 1968, can you get a little bit of love, especially since two of his interceptions came against Jameis Winston? Well, I mean, you, you should get a little bit of love. You should at least be invited to New York to be part of the, the celebration and be recognized as a finalist. But, I mean, once again, we're talking about the Heisman Trophy where traditionally defensive players don't, don't get any love towards the Heisman. And, and, I mean, I think that that's wrong. I think it should be the best player out there. It should be the best player that makes their team better. And, I mean, there's a couple considerations for for that, I think overall, it, it, nine times out of ten, you're never going to see a defensive player strut across the stage and, and collect that award. No. Yeah, but, okay. but Jeff, but when we when we look at the Heisman race as a whole, it is a w- award that is said to be given to the best college player in that perspective year. Shouldn't they just go ahead and change that award to say, well, we're going to give it to the best college quarterback because it's, in fact, an individual award that's given to a quarterback, and, and which raises a very important question to me. When we look at these players, everyone talks about, hey, listen, did he pass the eye test? How many points is he putting up? Going back to Marcus Mariota, he, he, he's a dynamic player. Oregon would not be where they are if it were not for him playing a quarterback position. But they have a defense that's not that highly ranked, and they give up as many points as they score. So the question is, well, when you, when, even though the Heisman is an individual award, but to me, that, that's a team award because if, you're, if your defense isn't playing well, then the quarterback, he suffers as well because that's what we're seeing with, with Jameis Winston, are we not? Well, I think the, the offensive mind, it, it breaks down like this. Whenever you watch a game, you're more tuned into what the offense is doing rather than what the defense is doing. The defense is really an afterthought, and a lot of that has to do with the mentality that offense is what dominates college football. I mean, we're not surprised about a record that, has been, that hasn't been touched in the last six decades, but yet we're, we're more focused on what's going to go happen with Jameis Winston, what's going to happen in that situation? What's going to happen with 
Alabama's offense, and can they be good enough to beat a defensive-minded Mississippi State team? I mean, that's, that's what people are really focused on, and that's why I think when you look at Heisman voting, the voters get more polarized by that specifically. They're, they're more tuned into what offense-minded teams do rather than defensive teams do. Now, Jeff, one more question for you. The three top names going into the Heisman uh, Trophy race as of now are going to be Mariota, of course, Dak Prescott, and Melvin Gordon. So the odds that I'm looking at from Bavada uh, put Mariota at four to five, Prescott at three to one, and Gordon at eight to one. Um, are there is there anybody else outside of those big three that you give a realistic shot to? Uh, and if not, who is the one guy that uh, maybe I left off that you would want to see in there? Well, I think those are those three are legit. And you know, Dak Prescott has willed his team to be number one, and and that's why he gets a lot of love for that. But he's still going to come up short because his stats haven't been. Ask of what Mariota's done. I mean, when when you talk about Marcus Mariota, this is a guy who's had four interceptions in the last two seasons, and he's had streaks uh, of last year. Going back to last year, he had a streak of seven games where he didn't throw a pick, and up until just the last two games for Marcus Mariota of this season, he hasn't thrown a pick. So th- that's just pretty amazing what he's done, and especially he's not doing this at a small school against. Uh, smaller schools, I should say. I mean, this isn't a Division II quarterback. This is a Division One in the Pac-12. So for him to say that, that's that's pretty key in what they're doing. Now, uh, I mean, uh, there's one more name that I would throw in there, and that's Amir Abdullah. What he's done in Nebraska, leading the, lead, or leading the entire NCAA in rushing and showing that he can be that really – next back up in the NFL, uh, he should get a shot to at least plead his case for what he's done for that Nebraska offense. Well, you know, here's another guy, and we're talking to Rant Sports writer uh, Jeff Hauser. You can find him at Radio Hauser. Uh, Melvin Gordon, I mean, great back. Uh, for the Wisconsin Badgers, he's not even being talked about. To me, when I look at this, it's sort of like looking at uh, the Pro Bowl. It's all about flash. It's all about the, the person or, as they say, the sexy pick at that particular time. And regardless whether it's the NFL or college football, everyone's talking about the quarterback. Like the quarterback can win these games by themselves. And I, and I just got this uh, email uh, from uh, someone who's, who listened to the show. And thank you for listening to the show. And, and here's, the, here's the question. The question is, well, why does it matter what the person's overall record is with their respective teams, why, why does the Heisman Trophy is not given out to individuals based on their accolades and their accomplishments individually on the field? So I asked both of you guys uh, to answer that question. And thanks so for sharing those emails. Let me just take it real real quick, Jeff, because mine's going to be short and sweet, because people don't care about a loser. And I'm sorry if that sounds blunt or mean, but if people aren't watching your games and you're not winning, then no matter how fantastic you might be playing, then you're not willing your school to win. And, you know, maybe I'm off base here, but you just can't give a trophy for the best college football player in the country to someone playing on a 500 team. I just disagree with it. Well, but what if the stats 
you know, represent. No, I, I, I understand that. And if, if the stats are there, then God bless him. And, you know, maybe he'll get a little bit of consideration, maybe a couple third place votes or whatever. But if you're not surrounded by, I mean, it's more of a team award. It honestly is. I mean, uh, you get the, it, there's the Heisman, and then I'm blanking on the other one where it's like the, the most important player in college football. That's what that award is for. The, the Heisman is more of like just for flash and for show and who got the most notoriety from ESPN, which is a shame, but that's how it is. Jeff, what's your, what's your take on it, Jeff? I think, I mean, I definitely agree with Mario. I, I do, because I think that when, when you look at who's playing on television and what's the marquee game, that's what it comes down to. It comes down to who's going to be on television, who's going to have the most exposure, and who's going to sit up top. Now, I will say, a 6-6 six and six team, you're not going to see that, because then a lot, of, a lot of voters really take records into account, too. I mean, you look at... You look at Dak Prescott. He's willed his team to an undefeated record at 9-0, and and they and Mississippi State sits atop every discussion right now. Will it be next week? We don't know. We'll see what happens against Alabama. And, and another case, Oregon sits number two in the college football playoffs right now. Marcus Mariota. Also, he's sitting high atop the discussion for Heisman Trophy winner. So it, all these things all link together because it's, it's just a big popularity contest, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. And keep in mind, Nick, last year, Andre Williams of Boston College was by far, in my opinion, the best running back in college football. And nobody gave him an ounce of thought because he played for Boston College. You know, he played for a 500-type team. Well, Mario, the award that you were talking about outside the Heisman, it's called the Maxwell Award. It's given yes. to the outstanding player in college football, which raises another question, uh, Jeff, and I'll ask you this. What college football would suffer if what program or programs would no longer part of the college football scene? Oh, I, I mean... You asked Tough. me this last night, and I've given I've, I had a lot of time to think about it, and and I'll, I'll reflect the question back to you. Would what would you think? Who who would you think? And I'll I'll, I'll tell you why I'm asking you first. Okay, uh, well I'll go ahead and take that. I think uh, uh, no in no particular order. Uh, Florida State, for one, and their storied history, Bobby Bowden, what he's been able to do. Uh, you can't look at without what not Bear Bryant, Alabama, Nick Saban, what they've done over their history. I think you look at the Miami Hurricanes, and we'll talk to John Michaels, uh, who's a loyal Hurricane fan about that. Uh, Notre Dame, uh, their story, tradition. And I think i also toss in Michigan. Uh, Michigan, even though they're up north or whatever, uh, they've done a lot to help college football. And to me, you know, I don't want to say we're, we're living in a down, uh, down year as far as college football is concerned, but I remember growing up in Miami watching college football and felt feeling as though college football was at its best when you had teams like University of Miami, Florida State, Nebraska, excuse me. I left that team out with Tom Osborne, what they were able to do. When you have those teams, those collective uh, body of teams in the top one through five, that's when college football, I think, was its most exciting. I know we went from the BCS to this new format now, but to me, I love college football when those teams are at, at, their, at their peak. So to me, I think college football, once again, will suffer if those teams were no longer associated with college football. 
Well, and and I'll take that and run with it and say it's all history. Everything, every team that you just named has deep-seated history within college football. Now, why is that? Because we see them on TV every single week. That's why. No, not a single team that you just named, and, and even Notre Dame. Notre Dame has an exclusive contract with NBC where all their games are, are watched on NBC every single week that Notre Dame plays. That's why, because it's in the forefront of our minds, just like Alabama, just like Florida State. And it, uh, I mean, one team you didn't mention was either Oregon, who has a deep history, but we don't see Oregon on TV every week because they, they hide behind either the Pac-12 network or some secondary network. Now, all the other ones that you've mentioned, we all see them. Florida State, because they're popular right now and they have a rich history and we, we know them for the tomahawk chop and for the long prestige that that entire university has represented for many, many, many years. Did anyone say Texas or USC? Nope. I mean, we're talking about <laughs> we're talking about being in the media. The Longhorns have their whole own damn station. And you look at USC and these kind of teams where people either love them or hate them. And that's that's the uh, the filler that I would use, or that's how I would describe these teams, Nick. So if you list a team and say, is there no middle ground with this team? Are they either loved or hated? So you look at these teams that we're all talking about, Texas, USC, Oregon, Alabama, Florida State, University of Miami, Ohio State, Michigan, Notre Dame. They're all the big names, but I feel like if you're a true college football fan, you either love to root for this team because you like what they're doing or you loathe this team. And I think that's the qualifier. If you just kind of skate by and think, oh, you know, this team, for the most part, I could take them or leave them. That's how I would. That's my measuring stick. Well, Jeff, once again, before I leave, let you go. Big day in college football this weekend. You have Florida State, uh, as we're talking about, versus University of Miami. Mississippi State versus Bama. With all the games slated this weekend, those are the two games I think are going to be pivotal in the committee trying to decide what four teams actually make it. Of course, there's arguments about TCU, TCU, whether they should be in or be out. But specifically, with these two games and these four teams, who are you picking to win? Well, there's a lot that's riding on the Mississippi State-Alabama game and it's more it goes more than just this weekend it goes for the standings and going into the sec championship now if mississippi state loses they're going to lose not only the this game and their position on top of every ranking or standing out there but they're also going to lose that tiebreaker against alabama in their division and have the same record which means that alabama would essentially go on to represent that side of the sec in the SEC championship. This is going to be a huge, pivotal game, and, and I want everybody to pay attention because a lot rides on this game. And make no mistake about it, the, the playoff riders, the underwriters of the playoff system, they want to see Alabama in this playoff system. One way or another, it's going to happen. If Mississippi State loses this weekend, you're going to see two SEC teams go into this playoff. You're going to have Mississippi State, which is going to come in at either a three or four seed, and then you're also going to have Alabama come in somewhere hovering around that, if not higher, because of their their quote-unquote status. 
So, well, Jeff, I, I think this weekend, I think Alabama does win. Well, you I know do, what? For, for for the sake of college football, reasons. they're at home, and Brian Denny Stadium is very friendly to Alabama. I mean, being that they play eight of their twelve games there this season, they only have four games on the road. Alabama doesn't really have to travel. Now, the other matchup in question is the the Florida State Miami game. Miami is coming in at six and three, very underrated, but could catch Florida State because that is a home game for Miami. So I definitely think Florida State does take care of business on the road, but it won't be easy. Well, for the sake of college football, I am hoping that does not happen to have two SEC teams, one loss or two losses uh, in this college uh, playoff. To me, I think that would be totally upsetting for other teams. No one's talking about it, and Mario mentioned it earlier. Marshall is still undefeated, but not in the conversation at all. Once again, that's Jeff Hauser. You can follow him at Radio Hauser, writer for Rant Sports. Some great stuff. I encourage you and employ you to follow him if you want to keep up to date on what's happening on all prospective uh, professional sports. Jeff, thank you for joining the program. Appreciate it. Oh, absolutely. Anytime. Mario, I'll see you later, man. All right, Jeff, be easy. Uh, All right. After we come back from the break, we'll talk to John Michaels of John Michaels Radio and get his take on the FSU University Miami uh, rivalry and see if there's any kind of justice to be served with the SCC or not. You're listening to Nick Ferguson's Secondary Perspective. The fans now have a voice to speak their mind. No holds barred. They need to bitch his ass and then move on. I just just think that the coach made a mistake. All crazy. (laughs) NFL, MLB, NBA, NHL. Speak up. Speak up. Or forever hold your mouth. We ain't playing around here. Voice America Sports. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. Are you a real sports fan? Get ready to talk football and anything else sports with Kwame Lasseter. Formerly with the Arizona Cardinals, San Diego Chargers, and St. Louis Rams, Kwame's got the experience. So he's prepared to talk sports with you every week on Kwame Lasseter's Sports Talk. It's on the Voice America Sports Network every Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time. Get ready for an unpredictable, fun, and sometimes sarcastic look at the world of sports. That's Kwame Lasseter's Sports Talk on the Voice America Sports Network. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. You're listening to Secondary Perspective with Nick Ferguson. 
to get in the lineup for today's show, please call 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or send an email to nickferkshow at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. One hand in the air, if you don't really care. Two hands in the air, if you don't really care. It's like that sometimes, I mean, ridiculous. It's like that sometimes, ridiculous. That's right, ridiculous it is. And Mario, let me bring in my next guest, Loyu, University of Miami fan, uh, John Michaels. You can follow him on Twitter at John Michaels790. Knows everything about Atlanta sports scene, but he knows something specifically about Saturday's rivalry between the University of Miami and Florida State. John, thank you for joining us. First, how you doing? I am doing well, John. Now, John, we were just talking to Jeff Hauser for Rant Sports, and he told us exactly who he was going to vote for for the Heisman. It was Marcus Mariota. But we also talked about uh, this 14 playoffs and a couple of games slated for this weekend, most notable the University of Miami and Florida State. You look at this rivalry. I know you're a longtime Hurricane fan. Why does this rivalry mean so much to college football? Well, Nick, for the past 30 years, maybe the last five years notwithstanding uh, on the Miami side, for the 30 years previous to that, typically the winner had the inside track at a national championship. Think about Miami winning five national championships, losing four others, playing for two or three more, having that outside shot on a, on a New Year's Day. Florida State winning a couple, winning their third last year, losing a couple chances to Miami where they missed kicks. You're talking about for a 30-year stretch, almost half of the national championships were decided in one form or fashion between these two schools. I think a lot of people around the country, when they look and they go traditional rivalry, two of the best, Michigan-Ohio State, Notre Dame-USC, Alabama-Auburn. This, though, is the rivalry that when you start to look at what had more of a national impact, Miami and Florida State was that. Then you extrapolate a little bit further and you start talking about all the great players both of those schools have put into the NFL who have gone on to be Hall of Famers, Derek Brooks. Obviously, you had Walter Jones going. Miami's had their list with Warren Sapp, uh, Cortez Kennedy, and others. And that's where this rivalry is so important. Most of these kids, as you know, they played Pop Warner High School uh, on up, and then when they got to the end of high school, it's either I'm going to be a Kane, I'm going to be a Gator, or I'm going to be a Seminole. So there's a lot of bad blood between a lot of the players. That's why this rivalry is so huge. We're talking to John Michaels. You can follow him on Twitter at JohnMichaels790, radio host and personality on Atlanta uh, sports scene. When you look at Miami, and we can even go as far as back as the 80s, you're still seeing some of the things that they established under Jimmy Johnson. Uh, they're still transcending time. I mean, I remember I watched a couple of games this weekend and watched a couple of high school games here in Los Angeles, but the one thing that's the attitude of the Miami Hurricanes and what they stood for. And when you watch the NFL, you still see, you know, Miami's production or their, their impact on the NFL. Because before that, I, didn't, I never saw a guy stand up and, and acknowledge, okay, well, hey, Nick Ferguson from Georgia Tech. Now you're seeing, hey, you know, Andre Johnson, the U. So much so that you have guys who, who went to colleges who – the programs were not as prominent starting to use that. Like I've, I've seen a guy, you know, you know, the, the Memphis state, what you can't even say the Memphis state. So when you look at how 
uh, the program in Miami has affected not just high school, but, you know, the pro game itself, not just with the players. As a loyal fan, how does that make you feel? I mean, it's a culture. They, they always say once a cane, always a cane, and that's the truth, whether you're somebody that played there once, whether you're somebody who just attended the school, or you're somebody that grew up like I did as a fan from as long as I can remember. When you're a hurricane, uh, it's something that really transcends football. Think about what college football was pre-Miami dynasty back in the late 70s and early 80s. It was a lot of teams emulating themselves running a wishbone, some type of option formation, whether it was Notre Dame or Penn State, Nebraska, Oklahoma, and those were all great football teams. Miami came in and said, you know what, we don't have the size of a Nebraska and Oklahoma. We're going to find a different way to play college football, and we're going to take these natural athletes that you have down here in South Florida, and we're going to cultivate them into a different breed of football players. Jimmy Johnson was the first guy in 1985 when he changed his defensive staff to come in and say, all right, I'm going to take a linebacker who's a little bit undersized, and I'm going to bulk him up to about 235 pounds, and I'm going to put him on the edge, and he's going to rush the passer. I'm going to take a 235-pound defensive end, bulk him to, at that time, which was a big 260-pound defensive tackle, and I'm going to have him get up the field, penetrate. And they were the first team that really just destroyed option football. They beat the 83 Nebraska team, which was some considered the best team in the history of college football until they lost in the Orange Bowl. They beat Oklahoma three straight years when Oklahoma only had three losses and all three of them were to Miami because the teams were able to take away the option. You saw teams copy that. Florida State and Bobby Bowden realized, okay, for us to be a national championship team, we need to do what Miami's doing. Take the natural resources of Miami, South Florida, even Central Florida to an extent, get those speed players and do so. Now you're seeing teams take it a little bit further. You see the origins of the world going to an up-tempo spread offense to utilize the athletes that they have. And that's where Miami was a transcendent program. And Florida State was right there with, and they were one of the trendsetters as well. But when you start to look at the guys that go in the league, and Nick, you played in the league for a long time. When guys walked in from Miami or from Florida State, you knew when you drafted one of those guys, you were getting a football player that was going to come in there hungry, he was going to come in there and he was going to work really hard. I don't know if you've had a chance to see the U reloaded. The, it's kind of the, I don't want to say bootleg because that's not, not the right way to categorize it. But Najee Davenport, former back of the Pittsburgh Steelers, had his own documentary from like 97 through 2001, and it showed how hard that team worked to get back to national prominence. And that's what Al Golden's trying to do right now is get that school back. You, you know what, John? Uh, it's funny. You know, I, talk, I, talk, I asked Jeff Hauser this question and my co-host uh, Mario Vitanzi this question. It, the college football would suffer if what programs were not allowed or um, omitted from the scene as a whole. So let's get you, let's get your teams. You know, if I go five, and, and this is going to strike you, Miami would not be one of them. You'd ask me this ten years ago; they would have been the number one. But college football has evolved, and the Canes have struggled for 10 years. I do think my, college football is better when Miami and Michigan and Texas are all on the board as being national powers. But for me, who would suffer the most, number one, would be Notre Dame. Love them or hate them, and Lord knows I don't like them. They are a brand of college football that gets not only the diehard college football fan in, but they get the casual guy on a Saturday that doesn't have a team to root for Notre Dame. I think if Texas was to disappear... And I think Charlie Strong's going to get them on the right path. You'd definitely be losing something. Ohio State, another school that a lot of us don't like. They're, they're sort of like the Yankees. You love them or you hate them. There's not a lot of middle ground. 
because of the, the size, the tradition, and everything that goes along with Ohio State, you've got to have them. I think mean, Alabama, and I know you're not an SEC guy, Nick, but if Alabama goes back to the days of Mike DeBose and Mike Price, college football suffers, and if they were to go away, the state of Alabama would just turn into Georgia because nobody would really have anything to do in that state any longer. And I think Florida State's the other one right now. If you lose Florida State, they've sort of in the last three years, and I think part of it's the Jameis Winston off-the-field stuff that's going on, they've become Miami of the 80s and the 90s. They're the team that's wearing the black hat. They're the Oakland Raiders. Everyone wants to see them take a tumble. A lot of it has to do with the -the off-the-field stuff. But if you took those five programs away from college football, college football as a whole would absolutely suck. We're joined by John Michaels. You can follow him on Twitter at JohnMichaels790. Uh, you just touched on something. You talked about the SEC. I'm not a huge fan of the SEC and this whole uh, conversation about them being the best conference around. And I want to see how this 12-person committee is going to get it right. And I think the way that they are marking things up is to allow maybe a two-loss Alabama team or two-loss SEC team to get back into this mix. And, and I'm going to play you to something. This is the first thing that comes to mind when I think is what we're all being set up for. This is what I feel as though that they're, they're doing to us right now. They're leading us astray, and we're the ones that are going to be hoodwinked because if Bama beats Mississippi State, they're going to be edged up, bumped up to the number two spot and maybe the number one spot, and we could have two SEC teams in the playoffs. And real quickly, before we let you go, John, when you look at the SEC, are they the best conference in college football, and could we see a two-loss SEC team in the playoffs? You know, it's a real tough question. Are they the best? I'd have to say yes, but I say that with a caveat. One of the things I look at when I look at this, especially the SEC West, which right now is the dominant side of that division, when you look at them, who have they really beaten outside of each other? Alabama's got to get a win against West Virginia. That's a four-loss football team. Auburn has a really good win against Kansas State on a Thursday night. I give them credit for that. Who's Mississippi State beat outside of conference? Nobody. Who's Ole Miss beat outside of conference? Okay, they beat Boise State in the opener. Uh, Take what you want out of that. Boise State's not the same team as they were under Chris Peterson. My point is, all of their big wins were against each other. So are we overrating the SEC saying, okay, well, you beat Texas A&M and LSU, that should elevate you into the top five if you're a Mississippi State or an Ole Miss, or are we undervaluing how good these teams really are? Here's my hope, Nick, and I think you'll like this. I'd like to see Alabama win this week against Mississippi State because that's going to knock the, the Bulldogs down to one, with one loss. Then I'd like to see Auburn take care of business against Alabama, knock them off in the Iron Bowl, and in the Egg Bowl, Ole Miss take out Mississippi State. Then you're going to have Potentially a one-loss Florida State, as I hedge my bet there just a little bit, a one-loss Oregon, a one-loss ECU, and a one-loss Baylor, and maybe we get no SEC teams in as they all have two losses. That's the dream! (laughs) That's a great dream. More than likely one's going (laughs) to get in somehow, because I honestly don't see Alabama losing another football game this year. But I don't think we're going to get two in, because I can really see Mississippi State, who's played some good football, losing two. Well, there it is. You heard it from Mr. Football himself, 
Uh, he covers the Atlanta sports scene, radio host and personality and part-time comedian, John Michaels. Once again, you can follow him at John Michaels 790. Great week in college football. I will be glued to the television as though I know you will be, John, and thank you for joining the program. Nick, anytime. I will be in South Florida on Saturday, and uh, if the Canes win, you'll see me Sunday on the sideline for the Atlanta Falcons wearing a giant Ibis chain representing the U. <laughs> well, you may, well, you make sure you pass that photo along the social network so I can uh, retweet that as well. So thanks again for joining the program. No problem, Nick. Thanks a lot. All right, Mario, we only have a short period of time before we get out of here. So quickly, give me the victors for this weekend, Florida State, UM, Mississippi State, Alabama. Uh, give me Miami and give me Mississippi State. Wow, wow. I, may, I will make sure that I'm tweeting you during that time because I think Florida State will be able to pull uh, this off, even though Miami has shown as though they're turning the program around and Al Golden is doing a great job. I want to thank my guest, John Michaels, for joining the program. And I want to thank my other guest, Jeff Hauser, for joining the program. Thanks, my three amigos, for allowing me to broadcast here from the Garden Pavilion here in Los Angeles at Celebrity Center International at the Scientology Facility. And my co-host, as always, you can find him on Twitter at Mario. And my people in Phoenix, Arizona, for keeping things running as smoothly as possible. Hey, like Malcolm said, don't be hoodwinked, bamboozled, or led astray. Think for yourself, watch out for others, and we'll see you next week. again for stopping by be sure to catch nick ferguson's secondary perspective again next thursday at 1 p.m eastern time 10 a.m in the west on the voice america sports channel we'll share some more great stories next week